There are all kinds of celebrations, some more popular than others and some more widespread than others. For instance, once a year, I celebrate my birthday. Most of the world could care less. But my family celebrates it, or at least is required to, and they do whatever. Our country has the celebrations. We have the 4th of July. Every year we fire off fireworks and have lunches and picnics, and we celebrate that. And if nothing else, we celebrate the fact that we don't have to go to work that day. And then there are celebrations like what most of the world calls Easter. Others, because of the pagan influence of that name, call it Resurrection Sunday. I firmly believe the actual biblical name of today is First Fruits. But whatever you call it, there is a sense of a greater number of people celebrating today. Some people will be celebrating it publicly like we do. There will be other places in other countries of the world that persecute Christians. So they'll be more, a little more less public about celebrating today. But we make a mistake if we only celebrate the resurrection today. Because in reality, we as believers celebrate it every day. The whole point of us coming together to worship is to acknowledge and worship the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, gave his life for us and that rose again from the dead that we might have life and have it eternally. Every time I participate or I go to, whether you call it a funeral or memorial service or a celebration of life, there is this comfort of the fact that this is not all that there is, that Jesus gives life. And that gives us hope, and that gives us a purpose, and that gives us a reason to go on even in the face of loss. So we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday, First Fruits every day, and as we ought to. But this day that we celebrate is not just about Jesus who rose from the dead, which he did. But it's personal, just as I share with you when we did Passover Seder, that when the Jews express and go through the Passover Seder, they do so personally. It's not, oh, our great, 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 and keep going great. Grandfathers celebrate this because they left Egypt. It's no, God delivered us. And this day is personal because on the Jesus' death on the cross, it delivered us from the slavery of sin. And that by his resurrection, that proved that his sacrifice was acceptable to God and that what he said, he did. And so, first of all, when we celebrate today, we don't celebrate it because of faith only. We celebrate it by faith because of the reality of it. And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to go through a number of things. But today is about a personal worship of the resurrection and what it means to you and me. And so Paul's writing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, 
the good news that I preach, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you have believed it in vain. For I deliver to you of, as of first importance. So Jesus, Paul saying, number one, importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He didn't just die for our sins. He died for our sins according to the scriptures, which tells us that he is the Messiah, which tells us that his sacrifice was acceptable to God because he died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. As I had read earlier this morning, when the women came, because even though he had taught his disciples and others that he was only going to be in the grave three days and that he would rise again and he would meet them in Galilee. Let's face it, they didn't believe him. Because they went to the tomb to take care of his body because they felt so bad because of the holy days that were coming. They didn't have time to properly prepare his body. So the women went to do that. And I'm impressed with them in this sense because they rose early after busy days to do what they could for the last carrying of the body of the Lord. But he was not there. He had risen because he had risen according to the scriptures. So the Bible testifies, the scriptures testify it. The fact that Jesus' tomb is empty testifies to it. Also, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep or have passed away. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Notice Paul is saying here, we have witnesses to the resurrection. And Paul says, not only can I account all these people, his disciples, the women, the 500 at one time, and all these other, he goes, also me, who was a persecutor of the church, I wanted to kill and imprison people who claimed that Jesus was the risen Savior. And guess what? I met him on the road to Damascus. I too have seen the risen Savior. We believe because it's a fact, not because we hope so. We respond in faith, not because we've seen it, but because of the testimony of these people and the scriptures and this Holy Spirit that comes to our hearts and minds and our spirit to testify that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from that and what he had to say was true. So this resurrection is personal because Jesus had made it personal. He had told them that he is going to give his disciples eternal life. And I, as I do in, I use, lawyers always talk in threes. And so funerals, memorial services, or celebrate life because we used to call it funerals. Then we call it memorials. Now we call it celebrate life. And I usually use an Old Testament passage and I use a New Testament passage to start out these services. 
and I love being able to preach this with no body there. Because there's nobody crying because they lost a loved one. So hopefully you can hear what the scriptures say, not by the cloud of tears and anxiety and fear and separation. So I'm going to, in essence, preach a funeral service, a memorial service, a celebration of life service while you're still sitting in a pew or you're looking on a computer screen or something. Um, And we're going to go with Psalms 23 because it's so well known. How can you not use it? And I could preach. And when the pandemic happened, I did a series on Wednesday nights on this very psalm. So I'm only going to hit the highlights here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The resurrection isn't about when I die someday and I'm going to go to a home far away. It is the Lord is my shepherd now. Because of the resurrection, I have a shepherd who guides me and leads me. And I shall not want. It's not that I might not. No, I shall not want. There's nothing that I need or desire that God doesn't provide. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, my life and those of the believers and those of his disciples are shepherded by him. The resurrection isn't about going to heaven. While it is, it's not just that. It is how we live today. People will say that, that, that Christians who are so concerned with the rapture and whatever, that they're so concerned about heaven that they're no earthly good. Well, the actuality is, is that our faith has earthly good and heavenly consequences. So he's my shepherd. He cares for me. He leads me. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now notice it says a shadow of death because death is not real. It's a shadow. I use two examples, one personal and one that that I've shared from another. My personal story is when I was a a child, I was in bed and, and, and home. And my window looked out over the um, porch area and there was some wind blowing and I kept seeing the shadow of what appeared to be a man outside my window and it, and I was afraid. So I called out to my mom and she ran in, turned on the wind, the light and this person disappeared. And so having comforted me, she's like, nobody's there, turns off the light, goes, whatever. In a few moments, I see the shadow again. I cry out, and I can make this story longer, but it happened several times, and finally we discovered that it's a banana tree waving in the wind. A week or two later, we cut that banana tree down because I think my mom was tired of getting woken at the middle of the night. But that shadow could not harm me, especially since it wasn't even a person. But I thought as a shadow, it must be there to harm me. The other is that is a little more direct, but it's not my story. There was a uh, professor of theology and, at a seminary called Donald J. Barnhouse. And he lost his wife. And they had a young daughter. 
And driving home from the funeral, memorial service, celebration of life. He was trying to explain what had happened. And they were stopped at a red light. And there was a truck next to them and the sun was shining. And the truck had a shadow. And he looked at his daughter and said, would you rather be hit by the truck or the shadow? And his daughter said, the shadow. That's exactly what happened to your mother. She was hit by the shadow of death. She's alive in the Lord. So you see, the death can, and that's what the word teaches us, and that's what the resurrection, that's why we're here today and every day of our week, every day of our lives, celebrating the resurrection because death is a shadow. It is not a victory. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I love this. Notice it says, it didn't go, you prepared a table before me after all you defeated my enemies. No, no, you prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Sometimes we're still going to have obstacles and, and enemies and all that, but God is providing for us. Then we'll go on. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist tells us that we are going to a house that's not ours. We're going to the house of the Lord, the one who has provided for us, the one who is our shepherd, the one who has given us goodness and kindness and has led us and has made sure that we are protected by his rod and his staff and that death is simply a shadow. When this life is over, we are going to dwell in his house not for a few days, not for a few months, not even for a few years, but forever. Whether we pay the rent or not. Then if you'll turn to John chapter 14, again, a, starting with verse 1, a verse that I use frequently during a time of celebration of life, memorial, funeral. Because it provides hope. Now, the interesting and one of the reasons I'm using it today is because those of you who are here, we on Tuesday night we celebrated a Passover, and at the towards the end of it, I said that Jesus taught, and that much of John, about a third of the of the Gospel of John, is devoted to that night. This is his teaching. This is his interaction with his disciples. This chapter. So it's not out of context. It's in a time when he's talking that night before he's going to be arrested. And he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, the one, the Lord, he's claiming again to be the son of God. In my father's house are many dwelling places or in the, in the uh, King James mansion. If we're not so, I would have told you. If it was just an expression of speech, I'd have told you. But there is a place that God has developed and made for you. It's not just a word of art. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now, he's been gone about 2,000 years. This place must be awesome. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's saying, 
guys, we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord together forever in my father's. And, and you know the way where I'm going. Now, this is where at least some people are not afraid to show their ignorance. Because if Thomas would have been like everybody else, he'd have just remained quiet. But he didn't. And he says, and Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Because we don't have a clue. Where's this place you're building? Where, where's your father's house? Jesus said to him, I am the way. He's not a way. He is the way, the only way. We are as Christians, if you will, exclusive. Not because it's our idea to be exclusive. It's because Jesus, all roads may lead to Rome. But only one way leads to heaven, and that is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the way and the truth. You may have a truth. I may have a truth. That's garbage. The truth is Jesus. And the life. No one comes through the Father but through or except through me. If we want to dwell in this house of the Lord forever, then it requires us to have our faith and our trust in Jesus because it is he that provides us the way, the truth of it and the life. Again, going on. Another verse that I frequently use in these times is first Thessalonians Chapter 4, starting with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now, Paul uses the term asleep, not the way we use it. We use asleep because nobody likes to say die. Let's just face it. We come up with all kinds of ways to express people dying. Kick the bucket. That's a great one. They passed on. They crossed the river. They're not here. There's all kinds of expressions that we do. Paul isn't, isn't saying asleep because he's afraid to use the word die. He's using asleep because they didn't die. Their body is at rest. It is not, as I keep constantly saying, it's not life, death, life. It is eternal life. And so he's not using the word die because they didn't die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. This day is a day of hope and celebration. Because this is not all that there is. I don't care how long you live. I don't care if you live to be 100. And live up to be 100 with great vitality in life and, and you know you're here you know so many people live to be 100 and hardly get out of bed let it know so even if you live 100 years and you have great memories and and great physical activity or as they're saying maybe man can live to be 400 years old in the light of eternity that's not much 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord. Paul saying, I'm not coming up with this on my own. I'm telling you what Jesus said. And what Jesus said was that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Notice it is always, always. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We will be with the Lord forever. We will be with the Lord always. You see, it's personal. Paul is saying, whether you're dead or you're alive, Jesus is coming for you. You're going to be resurrected. You're going to have this perfect body. You're going to be these things. So celebrate this. The last scripture I want to look at is found in Revelations chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Now, those of you who uh, are uh, directionally challenged, you're probably grateful for this because you get lost. So there's going to be, so you don't have to worry about GPS because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And there will no longer be any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of a God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. We are going to dwell in the house of the Lord in a new heaven. And we will dwell there permanently. And God himself will dwell there. It's not like we're going to go to, to some place where only the priests can enter into a holy place. We get to dwell. And not only that, it says God himself will dry every tear. You've had a tough, difficult life. You've had problems. God is going to wipe your tears. God as Father loves you and is opening up his home for you and me to dwell in his house forever, to dwell there with the Son of God forever in a new place that we will call home. Think about it. Some of you have very nice houses. And some of you have not so nice houses. So no matter how nice or not nice your house is, it's not much if it's not a home. There's a difference between a house and a home. And God is building a house for you. 
that is going to be your home. That you will be there. Welcome. Because you knew who got you. And even in heaven, we will celebrate today. Worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain, who is now the Lion of Judah. This day, we celebrate once a year, but every day of every year, because it is personal to us. And that we, when we get home, will celebrate with him and with each other. With those who have gone on before and those who have yet even be born yet. Around the throne of God, singing, worthy is the Lord. But we're there as home. Belong because he made it. There is none good but God. I don't go there because I'm good. I don't go there because of Jesus, my Lord. And I am not unwelcome. I am welcome because he loves me with an everlasting love. And that he has made me not just a saint but a child of the living God. And those of you who have believed in Jesus are children of a living God. And it's no wonder we don't feel quite natural here because this isn't our home. It's a house. It's a temporary dwelling place. This thing will suffer and get aches and pains and this thing here will forget things even on the best of days. And someday it will stop to function. But I will live forever. So today, we celebrate homecoming. We celebrate that we have a place to call home. And we celebrate God, as long as you keep us here, we'll praise you and we'll worship you. And we'll share the gospel with others. But we can't wait to be called home. And to be with you. And to see you as you really are. And to no longer have to have faith. Because we will see. And when we walk around the streets of heaven. And we walk around this new Jerusalem. And this new earth. As if someone once said, Shazam, it's really true. It's even better than I had imagined. Even better than the word of God explained it, because I didn't really see it. But it, no matter how great the streets of gold, no matter how wonderful the temple, the place that we can't take our eyes off is that God is the light. And he's there dwelling amongst and all of God's people.